18th of January. We're beginning the week of prayer for Christian unity, and uh, let's pray for unity in our homes, our families, and our world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, make us know your ways. We pray for all who have been disappointed by their loved ones. Fill them with hope in you. We pray those for those who seek the truth in every part of the world. Guide them to the fullness of faith in you. We pray for those who have been who have gone before us. We pray for all our beloved dead. Keep them always in your love. God, our Father, you sent your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be our way, our truth, and our life. At this morning hour, we lift our hearts to you in prayer and ask that you guide us through this day according to your will and that all your followers may be one. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is a better way to start a Thursday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. And you can see it in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can go over there and chat with us. We do a little back and forth in there. It's pretty fun. Uh, up this hour, we've got lots to get to. Uh, so uh, we have... Among other things, Frank Donio will be talking about Father Frank Donio will be talking about uh, ordinary time, this sort of weird space between Christmas and Lent, and how to enter into it better. Dr. Jim Schrader will discuss tech use uh, and kids. Father Robert Nixon will talk about the virtue of temperance, uh, which has a lot of connotations in uh, the common parlance, but which the church talks about in kind of a specific way. And then, uh, speaking of temperance, Kevin Prendergast will discuss dry January. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, people trying to temper their alcohol use or cut it off altogether during the month of January. And Kevin will discuss uh, some uh, sort of pastoral counseling tips from a Catholic perspective on that question. So, hope you can stay with us. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Yesterday, U.S. officials announced the Navy used Tomahawk missiles to target 14 Houthi missile launchers. The strikes came just hours after the U.S. said it would be designating the Houthis as an official terrorist group. President Biden has said airstrikes from the U.S. and U.K. are in direct response to continued attacks from Houthi militants on ships in the Red Sea. Top congressional leaders met at the White House yesterday afternoon. President Biden invited House and Senate leaders to a meeting as the Senate works to reach a bipartisan immigration deal that will unlock more funding for Ukraine. Before the meeting, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told reporters they expect a deal to come together soon. Pope Francis sent a message this week to business and world leaders attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, encouraging them to use a moral compass to guide their discussions. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. In his message, the Pope said the greatest challenge facing humanity is to ensure peaceful coexistence and integral development for everyone. 
He said participants in the forum bear a moral responsibility in the fight against poverty and the quest for peace. Pope Francis noted that the Davos event takes place this year in a very troubling climate of international instability. The Pope lamented the wars and prolonged conflicts that are lacerating parts of the world, many of which are wreaking death and destruction among civilians. He said peace cannot come simply by setting aside the weapons of war, but nations must first address the injustices that are the root causes of conflict. These causes, he said, include the prevalence of hunger and the exploitation of natural resources, even as some parts of the world waste food and a select few get rich off of extractive industries. He also condemned the widespread exploitation of men, women, and children who are forced to work for low wages and deprived of real prospects for personal development and professional growth. Globalization has a profoundly moral dimension, said Pope Francis, adding that development requires a moral compass to guide discussions that shape the future of the international community. Development, said the Pope, must entail subordinating the pursuit of power and individual gain to the common good of our human family, giving priority to the poor and vulnerable. Finally, Pope Francis called for business leaders and politicians attending Davos to prioritize the equitable distribution of progress. Authentic development must be global and shared by all nations, he said, or it will regress even in areas marked hitherto by constant progress. I'm Devin Watkins. A judge in Maine is seeing a decision on whether former President Trump should be allowed on the state's ballot for now. Last month, Maine's Secretary of State disqualified Trump under the 14th Amendment. Wednesday's 17-page ruling from Maine Superior Court Justice Michaela Murphy said a final decision should be kept on hold until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on a similar case from Colorado. The high court will hear arguments in the Colorado case on February 8th, with Maine set to hold its Republican presidential primary on March 5th. The Justice Department is expected to release its report on the police response to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Mark Mayfield reports. DOJ officials notified Uvalde school officials about the upcoming release at a school board meeting on Monday night, shortly after the shooting in May of 2022 that killed 19 students and two teachers. The DOJ announced its plan to conduct a review of how police handled the situation. DOJ officials said the idea is to identify lessons learned and best practices to help first responders deal with future incidents. I'm Mark Mayfield. And week of prayer for Christian unity gets underway today. As Matt was telling us, the U.S. bishops have released a statement highlighting the importance of ecumenism, especially in praying for peace. They say, quote, given the paralyzing nature of polarization and tragedy of war that have spread throughout our world today, the importance of living the love of Christ in our own circumstances cannot be overemphasized. May Christians throughout our country come together across denominational lines to pray for peace in our world and an end to the sad divisions that prevent us from fully loving each other as Christ loves us all, end quote. And Anna Mitchell, we were talking uh, yesterday at the end of the show in our local hour that, mm-hmm. you know, we've got, you know, NFP Awareness Week and Vocation Awareness Week and a lot of these weeks that have sort of popped on as awareness weeks that have, you know, been really recent developments, but the week of prayer for Christian unity Pretty old. Started in 1908. Yeah. So it's been something we've been praying for for a while. Yeah. And, you know, that Jesus has been praying for. From, uh, from, from the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, basically. That all Actually, may be one. Actually, from before all creation is, you know, the <laughs> Trinity is one. 
God's people were always intended. The bride was always intended to be one. As Ken Hensley, my Baptist pastor, now Catholic colleague, would say, Jesus is not a polygamist. Amen. His bride to that. is supposed to be one. Amen to that. It's <laughs> a good point. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, today is Thursday, January the 18th. It's the Feast of Santa Prisca. And if you don't know who she is, you should be listening next hour when Liz Lev joins us to talk about Santa Prisca and a beautiful church named for her. Right now, it's eight past. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father Frank. Good morning, Anna. It's good to have you back. And on the liturgical calendar, post-Epiphany and pre-Ash Wednesday, we are in what is known in the church as ordinary time, which sounds so ordinary. Ho-hum. Ho-hum. But what does, the church, <laughs> what does the church actually mean no, by ordinary no, time? No, no, no. It, it's, it's not that kind of ordinary. Uh, it really has to do with, and where the term comes from, is connected with, and we're going to do a little math lesson here. Remember ordinal numbers? Oh, yeah, yeah, numbers, yeah. Numbers in sequence. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is. This is a time where not ho-hum, not routine, but these are our weeks in, in sequence. So the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, which concludes the Christmas season, but begins, it's also the first Sunday, usually the first Sunday in ordinary time. This year in the United States, um, Epiphany was the, was the Sunday, and then Monday, right. it, was, uh, it was Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. But that begins the, the first week in ordinary time. And then they continue, you know, one, two, three, so forth, for first Sunday, you know, second Sunday, so forth, and so on, until we get to Ash Wednesday. Then we move to the first Sunday of Lent. Then we go through Easter. We get to Pentecost, and we pick up again. Now there there may be a week or so of ordinary time that's missing because then it's counted. It's a very fascinating thing. It counts backwards from the solemnity of uh, of what we sometimes call Christ the King or sure. our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe, kind of a larger title that it has. And those weeks uh, continue on. Some of those Sundays might, for example, are the Most Holy Trinity, Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ, or Corpus Christi. Those are, this year, the eighth and ninth Sundays in ordinary time. Mm -hmm. We kind of miss the, the seventh week. So it, it's interesting how the liturgical calendar gets set up. But this little brief period between Christmas season and Lent really sets us up uh, to to start out the year yeah. uh, in a good way. So, uh, of course, when we're in Advent or Christmas or Lent or Easter, it's kind of obvious what the, I guess you could say the themes will be yes. in, in those liturgical seasons um, yes. based on, on the main event that uh, that we we celebrate for that that particular whatever season that it happens to be but in ordinary time is, are there are there multiple themes are there certain themes that we should be looking out for as catholics when we're when we're listening to the readings what would you say to that well really ordinary time takes us through the public life of our lord jesus christ because baptism of the lord is 
when he begins his public ministry. You know, he's the, 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 you're the beloved son. You're my beloved son. And so he, he goes forth. He's 30 years old. You know, when, when we're doing the Christmas season, we, we, we end with, we, and, and really baptism of the Lord, but we end with epiphany as, as one of the big celebrations, but that, that's still when he's an infant. And now we, we get this moment at baptism of the Lord, and then it kind of continues on, particularly in these weeks, it continues on with looking at how he calls his disciples and how, how they, they start to go forth. And then they start to see that opposite. And of course, in Lent, then we, we really pick up the, the opposition that he has against his, his, uh, his preaching and the fact that, that their people are, are, are about to reject him and ultimately do. And we celebrate that, you know, and we commemorate that in the passion of our Lord. Uh, but then the resurrection, and and we continue on, you know, as as uh, as church. So this gives us really an opportunity, not only these weeks, but then the rest of ordinary time, because it culminates in that great solemnity at the end of the of the liturgical year, where Christ is in glory. Mm. Yeah. And he's the king of the universe. And so, and, and we'll come again. And we're reminded of that, that he will come again. So we're, it kind of, it, it takes us through toward the end of ordinary time, takes us through where, where are we? Not only where are we in, uh, personally, but where are we as, as, a, as uh, being, living beings on this, uh, on this earth? And are we prepared for uh, for the for Christ to come at any time? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a, a huge point that you've just made using that word prepare because we think. I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about this leading up to the season of Advent, leading up to the season of Lent, that we don't just like get to the starting line and go. That's not a good no. way to to enter into those seasons that are specifically set. As times of preparation, we actually need to to prepare to prepare, so to speak. Yes. Do that training. This, this is a time. This is a time of of how are we living our discipleship? How are we followers doing as followers of Christ? Where do we need renewal? Where do we need deeper conversion? Which then we can really focus on, especially in these weeks to prepare for Lent. We can really focus on in Lent. And and through prayer, through fasting, through almsgiving, that this is a, a this this particular period of these few weeks of ordinary time, give us kind of this breather between the Christmas season and Lent to take stock. You know, so many people do that at the beginning of a new year anyway, but they often don't persevere in those resolutions. And really, it is a good time for us to take stock and say, okay, how am I living my following of? of Christ. How am I living my faith? What, it, what is my commitment? Is it a, a once a, a once a week or is it, and, and go to mass or is it something more? Yeah. I think and, the Eastern churches give us a good example of this in a way yes. because they do some really intense fasting. Um, if oh, they yes. adhere to it, uh, throughout Lent, where they give up all dairy and all meat for the entire season. But 
Yes. In the couple of weeks leading up to Lent, they have, I think it's called Cheese Fair Sunday, and they have Meat mm-hmm. Fair Sunday, where they kind of, they sort of gradually start giving things up so that they can kind of be primed to do the the 40 days well. And yes. not to say that, that that's what, what we need to do, although I think it would be a good goal um, to do something like that for Lent, to really intense fast like that, but um, if you can. But the... Um, but but the idea of it of 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 sort of like ramping up the fast, I think mm-hmm. is a, a good way to use ordinary time. Would you agree? Yes, and it's not only the it's not only the fast. If we look at at those those three disciplines of of Lent, there's mm. the prayer, there's yeah. the fasting, but also how are we toward those who who need us? The almsgiving. How yeah. are we how are we almsgiving, and not just simply you know here here's my here's my dollar in the collection. Um, but instead, he, what am I doing for, for others around me? How am I living not simply focused on myself, but on, but on others? And ordinary time, again, gives us that opportunity to, to in these weeks, particularly to, to, to set ourselves up because, you, you know, to just start, you know, go from zero to a hundred come Ash Wednesday is really not a good way to prepare. Yeah. Well, it's probably not realistic either. No. To be perfectly honest. No, you're, you're right. It's not realistic. And we're just a little over a month from Ash Wednesday, would you believe? Oh my gosh. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Well, we've been talking to Father Frank Donio and Father, I know the Catholic Apostolate Center is all about all of this. So if uh, listeners want to dive deep into their uh, pursuit of discipleship, um, how can they get more resources from you? Plenty of resources at CatholicApostolateCenter.org. You can find that linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Father, thank you. Thank you and God bless. You too, Father. Thank you very much. I think he said a little more than a month. We're a little less than a month away from Lent, February 14th. Anyway. Headlines up next. It's 18 past. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. And bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. 
EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com slash EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road, stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page. 20 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Pope Francis sent a message this week to leaders attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. And the Holy Father, during his general audience yesterday, focused on the sin of lust. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Dr. Jim Schrader joins us next. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that the problem with Christians is that they act so unredeemed. Chesterton expected Christians to be a joyful people. St. Paul expects the same thing. In the midst of the ups and downs of his missionary journeys and the challenges that he had, he writes to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Even today, we worry a lot about politics and the economy and the culture, and we don't find, at first glance, much to be joyful about. Paul's response is that our lack of joy is the result of looking at things without the presence of Christ. God is not going to lower gas prices or fix the economy. That's not going to happen. But he constantly reminds us that we're not alone. As brothers and sisters of his son Jesus, we have hope in this life and in the next. As a church, we have the ability to help each other, especially the poor, the vulnerable, and the elderly along the way. As Christians, we are companions of Jesus Christ. By prayer to God of praise, thanksgiving, and petition, we have help nearby. Rejoice, no matter how low you may feel. You are not alone. The Lord is near. This is what the heart of St. Paul tells us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. It's always great to catch up with Dr. Jim Schrader. You can find his work at james-schrader.com. He has done a lot of work, especially in the field of child psychology. Dr. Schrader, good morning. Yeah, good morning. So every now and then I'll see these ads or these press releases and uh they just make me want to like throw the computer in the trash move to the woods they say things like (laughs) if you're not using ai you're falling behind well it felt like i was falling behind don't make it worse by telling me the robots are coming Uh, but i think that this kind of argument gets used in classrooms and in parenting and in schools as well which is like we have to use as much technology as possible get as much 
tech into the hands of kids as possible so they can be prepared for the world ahead of them. I know you have a different perspective on this. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned this. It's interesting. I, I talk about every year when we interview uh, college students or actually you know, interns or, or so on that these days um, it's not what they, like their intelligence or their technical know-how that really stands out. It's actually the things that we're not talking about, which you're not, you know, you weren't mentioning there, which is all the social-emotional skills that are so important, you know. Can they have a good conversation? Can they be reliable? Can they do all those things? So in the world of what you just described, what that is completely missing is that actually what we most need are really engaged, you know, intentional, um, grounded, healthy individuals. And I think that that's something that just gets lost in this idea. I mean, technology is great. I use it every day. You know, um, we can, if we use it intelligently, it's got a lot of promise. But what the world is finding out is that the false promise, the false God, is that technology, that AI is going to take care of us. And if you talk to any employer or any educator today, they will tell you that it's honestly a false promise because we're losing out on the things that matter the most because we're focused on this so-called progress. It is fascinating. And, and the idea of, well, kids will be more productive if we just get them more technology. <laughs> it is crazy to me how often I will walk into a store and a person has been on their phone the whole time until I get up to, like, the cash register, <laughs> right? It's unbelievable, like, right? Yeah. The, the person who's actually supposed to be, like, doing the work is actually – they're doing something. Whatever it is is not work, right? They're checking on something else. And I I, I think that uh, they've picked up that habits from a lot of us older people who, you know, I, I – my whole life, I feel like people have been checking their phones and doing all these things. When I was first growing up and coming into, like, the workforce and stuff, the idea of you being able to, like, make personal phone calls at work was, like, you have to ask permission for that sort of thing. And now there's, like, this whole culture of, like, well, you can just check whatever you want on social media whenever you can. And uh, that, I think, is a – that's a habit that, that we probably ought to keep our kids away from getting into as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, you know, the issue of lost productivity is just one of many, many issues that we're facing here. And I, and like you said, I think what's happened is that technology is kind of creating the rules and, and the, um, the way that we operate instead of the other way around, meaning that we're creating what we think is important and then we're using technology in that way. And so years ago, we, like you said, if you couldn't have imagined that landscape where that would have been okay, but today it seems kind of just commonplace. And so I think that's, you know, there's an article in Alatea that I really encourage um, your listeners to check out that I, I talked about our decisions that we made with our youth and, and how we're really being countercultural with this. And then I had a really interesting commenter um, who talked about uh, accusing me of being a Luddite, which I, I didn't even know what that meant, but I found out. And that means that it's a person just kind of against technology. And uh, and I, it really was actually, I was kind of appreciated the comment because it spurred a further reflection about some of the fallacies and false paradigms that we have about our youth and this idea of having to immerse them in technology to keep them up with everything. And um, the, But the reality is that if we don't, I think, become more intelligent about these false narratives, that if we don't really understand them well, then we are really, I mean, we're, we're privy to the fact that we may fall right into the pattern of uh, believing them. And I think that's really a big risk that we have today in our world is that we're believing false narratives as if they're true, and that's changing the landscape of um, huge things like brain and child development. I think there's also a false narrative out here, and it's put out by old people like you and me. And I say old. You're not that old. I'm not that old either. <laughs> 
but people who grew up when like we had we used to turn in our grocery receipts so we could buy a computer for our class and use like a floppy disk to do stuff like that's the generation I grew up in and sure. technology has become insanely more intuitive and I think that there are older generations who grew up before there was technology and worked with more complex and uh, laborious technologies that assume things like, well, if a kid doesn't get that tech until later on in their life, how are they going to know how to use it? When in fact, like, they don't even print instructions for iPhones anymore. You just right. open up the phone, and it just, like, right. does stuff. <laughs> it's not no, hard to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the amount of time that we think people need to learn tech these days, we hugely kind of overestimate it with our youth when it comes to smartphones and when it comes to social media. And for exactly what you just mentioned is that, I mean, you know, one of the brilliance of the technology is that it's become so intuitive that even young kids can use it. But that's also the trap, right, is that because it's so intuitive that if we just put in the hands of, you know, kids who don't have the development to make sure they're using it wisely, and we as parents aren't making sure that we're making the intentional choices for them, then there's a real, real risk there. And I think that, um, you know, it, there's just a, there's a lot going on in this world that I really encourage all parents, all educators to recognize um, that we have to be really intentional and we have to be really educated about the research. And, and that's something, like you said, I've been trying to do and, and myself as a parent for the last 10 to 15 years um, through my website and other ways to kind of bring that more to the masses. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Jim Schrader. James-Schrader.com is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. He's written for Alatea, the National Catholic Register, a few other places. But you can find all of it uh, if you head on over to the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Some lively discussion going on in our uh, Facebook live feed and YouTube chat. You can link to those in the show notes as well. And uh, enter your email address, subscribe, so you can get a rundown of who's going to be on the show every morning. When you wake up, again, subscribe at sunrisemorningshow.com. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war continues to rage on in the Gaza Strip. Civilians in the region are fleeing as Israeli forces have attacked the area around Gaza's main hospital. This comes as medicine is set to be delivered today for Israeli hostages in exchange for additional humanitarian aid for Palestinians. The deal is the first breakthrough since the truce collapsed earlier in the war. The White House said, quote, serious and intensive discussions are taking place for a new hostage deal. Meanwhile, the United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Mark Mayfield reports. On Wednesday, U.S. officials announced the Navy used Tomahawk missiles to target 14 Houthi missile launchers. The strikes came just hours after the U.S. said it would be designating the Houthis as an official terrorist group. President Biden has said airstrikes from the U.S. and U.K. are in direct response to continued attacks from Houthi militants on ships in the Red Sea. Meanwhile, over 30 international charities have warned that further escalation and airstrikes on Yemen could spell disaster for civilians in an already dire humanitarian situation. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis has sent a message to business and world leaders attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Vatican News reports Cardinal Peter Turkson read it out this week. The text was released by the Holy See yesterday morning. In it, the Holy Father said, quote, it is my hope that the participants in this year's forum will be mindful of the moral responsibility 
that each of us has in the fight against poverty, the attainment of an integral development for all our brothers and sisters, and the quest for a peaceful coexistence among peoples, end quote. The Holy Father said, beware of the vice of lust during his general audience yesterday, continuing his catechesis series on vices and virtues. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. Romantic tender love is beautiful, but beware of the sin of lust which can defile it. The Holy Father reminded that in Christianity there is no condemnation of sexual instincts. No and that in its appropriate sense, love between two people can be innocent and a gift from God. However, when this is not the case and those feelings are distorted into something obsessive which enslaves those involved, lust has disfigured love. Lust, the Pope said, is particularly odious for at least two reasons. The two main reasons the Pope said are that lust destroys relationships between people and it can rob individuals of their freedom. Lust, the Pope noted, makes a mockery of and plunders the beauty of pure, innocent love. If not disciplined with patience, if not inscribed in a relationship and in a story where two individuals transform it into a loving dance, the Pope explained, it turns into a chain that deprives human beings of freedom. Lust, he observed, is opposed to the beauty of the love which God has implanted in our hearts and called us to cultivate in our relationships with others, especially through the responsible use of our sexuality. God's gift of sexuality, which finds sublime expression in conjugal love, the Pope said, is at the service of human fulfillment and authentic freedom. Winning the battle against lust, the Pope acknowledged, can be a lifelong endeavor. But, he noted, the prize of this battle is the most important of all, because it is preserving that beauty that God wrote into his creation when he imagined love between man and woman. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A judge in Maine is staying a decision on whether former President Trump should be allowed on the state's ballot. Last month, Maine's Secretary of State disqualified Trump under the 14th Amendment. Yesterday's 17-page ruling from Maine Superior Court Justice Michaela Murphy said a final decision should be kept on hold until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on a similar case out of Colorado. The high court will be hearing arguments in the Colorado case on February 8th. Maine is set to hold its Republican presidential primary on March 5th. Fourteen Democrats are joining House Republicans in denouncing President Biden's border policies. A GOP resolution passed in the House yesterday with full Republican support, urging Biden to end what they've called his administration's open border policies. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What sins are we bound to confess? We are bound to confess all our mortal sins, but it is good also to confess our venial sins. Those great ones, perhaps, that are listed by our Lord, he says, fornication, lying, stealing, murder, theft. These are some of the mortal sins that we definitely need to confess, but also those little sins that we commit along the way. Those are good to confess too, such as saying something mean in the parking lot, such as being impatient with a family member, thinking a bad thought while you're sitting in Mass. All these sorts of things perhaps may not lead us to hell, but certainly will slow us on our journey to heaven. And so, this is why we must confess all of our great sins, and it's good to confess our little sins, because when we do, we will better be able to keep our faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Thursday morning. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We have been going through one of those, The Paradise of the Soul by St. Albert the Great. Father, welcome back. Thanks very much, Henny. It's great to be with you today. It is great to have you. And today we are going to be unpacking St. Albert's writing on the virtue of temperance, which is more than just giving up Indeed. alcohol, according to St. Albert. Indeed. Tell us what tell us what this virtue is all Absolutely. about. Absolutely. So um, we often use temperance just as referring to alcohol because it's, you know, become a a part of the English idiom, but he's talking about it more broadly. And he says, true and perfect temperance is the just and ordered governance of both the interior movements of the heart and of the exterior actions. Hmm. So this virtue of temperance is really a bit like self-discipline. It's being able to give to everything the amount of attention and effort which is due to it, but no more. So in other words, to choose wisely and 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 to rule ourselves, to give um, to things what is their due. And so um, a truly temperate person is going to be in control of, of body and mind. But there's one exactly one thing or one person, I guess, who we don't need to control our love for God, do we? Exactly. So he makes this wonderful point that the only thing which should be without control, without measure, is our love for God, because God is the infinite goodness. God is the good above all goods. And so we should love God with an infinite love, without measure. And St. Bernard uh, of Clairvaux said that the proper measure of loving God is to love him without measure. Mm. 
But everything else in our life, um, even the good things, need to be kept in proper order and in you know in 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 their right measure. So love of God alone is to be done without measure. But love of everything else in this life, other people, um, even our duties and responsibilities, all of them have to be kept in the proper control and balance. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit more? The good things in life can be taken to a, a level that makes you an intemperate person. How does that happen? Exactly. So he gives the example here of a person who is attending a divine liturgy. And um, instead, they're thinking about something else. Now, what they're thinking about might be perfectly good in itself. But the point is that when they're at the liturgy, they should be thinking about the liturgy. And the same applies with, um, with our devotion to our tasks and our jobs. I mean, our, our vocation in life, of course, it's important. It's something good, which we should be doing. But at the same time, these things can become out of measure. Sometimes people get obsessed. Sometimes they drive themselves too hard. And this leads to an imbalance. And whenever we do this, whenever we make um, a good thing in life, um, whenever we give ourselves to it without measure, we're actually committing a form of idolatry because it's only God who is the infinite good. Everything else is just a means to an end. Everything else has to be kept in proper balance and control. And this includes even our vocations, even for me, priesthood and being a monk. And of course, for family people, their family responsibilities, our love of whatever it is we do in life. All of these things have to be kept in their proper proportion and proper context. I mean, after reading this chapter, Father, I realized just, I mean, I knew I had a lot of work to do in my life, but <laughs> but I'm realizing just how much work I need on on this virtue of, of temperance um, just by, yeah. you know, thinking to my experiences at, at Mass, for instance, and how often I let my mind wander to this or that thing that, that needs to be yeah. done. So how does St. Albert suggest that we cultivate the virtue of temperance in our lives? So he suggests that we can cultivate this virtue um, kind of systematically. Mm. So firstly, we begin with moderation in food, clothing, and sleep. So thinking, what do we really need? What's reasonable? And to treat these things in a manner as if we're in control. We make the choices about what we need. And then also there's this control over our thoughts and our emotions that we think, you know, we're going to give to everything what's due. You know, if something mildly um, hurtful happens to us, yeah, we can be hurt a little bit, but we shouldn't let it go out of all proportion. Or if something we care about doesn't come to success, we might be disappointed, but we shouldn't be so disappointed that it crushes us and so forth. So this um, cultivation of temperance is all about self-restraint of deciding how much is the right amount and going to that right amount and no further. Yeah, and he upholds St. Paul and actually God himself as uh, as good examples of, or I, is example the, be the best yeah. word to use here? Examples well, of temperance. No, I think, I think absolutely. And, and, you know, God himself, this is a wonderful example, he says, that God ordains all things with due measure. Mm. Um, so 
just as God created the world according to determined measure, number and weight. Following this example, we should also govern our own actions, habits and lives with due measure, number and weight. And, you know, I think this is a wonderful way of thinking of things. And, of course, the example of Paul, when he says, strive to offend neither the Jews nor the Gentiles nor the church of God. And, you know, I think this is so wise that we should try to harmonize. Um, You know, this doesn't mean kind of giving in or forgetting our own principles, but um, try to do things in the due and appropriate measure so that we're all always kind of in control We're in charge of ourselves, and by this means, we're able to do what God is asking us to do in the right measure that God is asking us to do it. Absolutely. And Father, can you close us out with uh, at least part of the prayer for temperance that St. Albert writes to close this chapter? Absolutely. So he says, assist me to restrain my tongue so that I may judiciously either keep silence or speak. Let me not indulge or delight in food, clothing, sleep, or any other material comforts excessively, but be content with what is necessary. Lord, graciously bestow upon me the virtues of temperance and moderation. Let me preserve measure in all things, with the single exception of my love, praise, and gratitude to you, O God, for in this alone is no measure or restraint needed. Amen. Amen. Some great words, a great prayer to pray as as we approach the season of Lent, don't you think, Father? Absolutely. Very much so, Amy. We've been talking to Father Robert Nixon. The book is called The Paradise of the Soul. Might be a good book to uh, pick up for Lenten reading, in fact. You can find it at Tan Books. You can also find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. Thanks, Annie. God bless you and God bless all your listeners today. And you as well, Father. Thank you. All right. Our Catholic counselor, Kevin Prendergast, is joining us next. It's 14 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share. 844-334-3245. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. 
Hi, friends. Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome New Age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken, Open Forum, Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Pope Francis has sent a message to world leaders attending the World Economic Forum encouraging them to have a moral compass guiding their discussions. And the Holy Father continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues at his general audience yesterday, saying, beware of the vice of lust. Well, we're going to talk about a different vice. Well, actually, we've been talking about all kinds of vices this morning. We really have. Uh, And we're actually going to come back to something that we were discussing a little bit with Father Robert Nixon, uh, but from a little bit different of an angle uh, pastoral, Kevin, pa- pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast now joins us. He's a licensed counselor. Uh, he lives in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and has been a seminary professor there as well. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so I was not familiar with dry January as oh. a term, but I am familiar okay. with the concept, so tell, tell us what it is. Okay, so this uh, actually there's an official program that started in Great Britain in uh, 2013, and I did a little digging around, and, and it's been around now 11 years, going on 12th year. So there's there's some actual research on how this works. So the basic idea is I'm just going to refrain from alcohol for a month. So we know that the month with the highest uh, volume of alcohol sales is December, not surprising, all the parties uh, socializing. And so a lot of people feel, you know, maybe I need to cut back on my drinking that, that's what I would have thought originally, but the research shows some some interesting things. So about about 20% of people who drink, so most people drink some alcohol. Uh, there's not that many people that abstain altogether, but only about 20% are the people who say, you know, I'll, I'll admit sometimes I drink way too much. I, I go on a binge. Uh, I don't feel great the next morning, right? So the research in Great Britain, a couple of interesting things. So they, one, they set up Uh, this formal program through the Department of Health and the mental health people there, where there was a website, there was uh, an app that people could download, social media uh, presence, uh, text messages were sent to the people. So you had to actually sign up on this website and then you would get kind of frequent reminders and they try to connect people with support, kind of a buddy system. So they found that that structured support is what they call it. The people that did that we're much more likely to succeed. And they've tracked this in, in Great Britain and now in the United States. So it's interesting, like, of all the people that try that, I mean, it seems, you know, I talk to my clients about this all the time. That's not a problem. I could do that, you know, going without alcohol for a month. That would be like falling off log. But only about 16% of people complete the whole month. So a lot of people are very sure, very confident that they can do that. But most people, 84%, don't do it. And it's interesting that the people who tend, and this has been my experience too, so this kind of resonated, the folks that actually participate in the challenge are not 
kind of your social drinkers. So the people that in the Great Britain studies, the folks who did sign up and participated were people who drank more. Uh, they had higher education and higher income, which is a kind of a goes along with drinking more. Those people drank more and poorer psychological well-being. So there was there were some good uh, tests that were done. So people that that actually got into the challenge kind of recognize that my pro my drinking is a problem. And so I need to do something about it. Now, it could be discouraging. You could say, well, see, you know, why, why even bother? Only 16% of people are going to succeed. And here we are, Matt, in the middle of January. And if any of our listeners have tried that, like I'm going to give up alcohol for the month of January, or maybe that'll be my Lenten resolution. Uh, the chances are pretty good if you do have a problem, if this is more getting to be interfering with your life. It's going to be pretty difficult to do that even for, for a month or even for two weeks. So I would what I tell my clients, Matt, is just just keep trying. So even at this point, even if you haven't been successful in January, got two weeks left, see if that if it works better this time. Uh, and if it try again after that. But after three or four times, you got to say, what else is going on? And I think most people in the United States were so doggone self-reliant. Most people do not really think about the structured support. I'm just going to do it by myself. I'm just going to show everybody. I'm going to prove to myself that I don't really have a problem. But using that support, I think that's where our faith comes in that, you know, if we, what if we use prayer uh, this was a secular program in Great Britain. But what if, as Catholics, we use prayer, the sacraments, sacrament of reconciliation? We had a buddy system. We had maybe a group of people that wanted to do this together. And then if we fail, you know, that's not in our Catholic belief. You know, failing is not the end of the story, right? We're going to fall down. We're going to try again. We're going to lean on God's grace. And maybe we realize I can't do this by myself. Maybe I need something more. I try for a month or two and it's not working, maybe that's a sign that I need to go to a program like Alcoholics Anonymous or Catholics in Recovery. Maybe I need to go to therapy or go to a treatment program. Uh, so each attempt, you know, kind of gets us further along. And that's what that came out of the research is uh, failure is not just not making it through the month. Uh, success is more that people get more motivated and committed to really doing something about this and, and realizing that it is a problem that I need to address. Yeah, and uh, it's fascinating as you you mentioned these aspects of accountability of uh, mm. you know going back and and not giving up uh, even if you've uh, failed and uh, you know lapsed in your goals and and the importance of that community that mentorship and all these roles. It strikes me that a great many of the people listening right now actually do go to weekly meetings uh, where yep. they admit mm -hmm. their faults, uh, where they ask for help, um, where they sort of offer their struggles uh, together in a group. It's called the mass, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, right. We, we have this yeah. sort of thing built into our week. And if we were to recognize what it is that we're doing there, I think it might help some people who feel like alone and lost that like, no, you're in a whole church full of people yeah. who has and, this and built I'll, into our yeah, worship. Yeah, totally, totally agree, Matt. I think the sacraments, I think that's where Catholics and recovery is very strong. On the other hand, in my long career, in my own personal life with family and people that I know, I, I do not know more than a handful of people, probably less than that, that have managed to, if they really had a drinking problem, were able to stop 
uh, solely by going to church. So yeah. it could happen. I believe in miracles, but I think it's like if I had cancer, well, I want to pray for sure, and I want to trust in the Lord. But I also, you also want to go, want to go see a doctor. <laughs> that's right, right. <laughs> and so that's what we yeah. have to get in. Like faith is great, but putting the two together—that's a dynamite combination. And don't give up. I think that's the point. Don't don't get discouraged. Uh, maybe I've stopped a lot of times, but I couldn't stay stopped. And if that applies to me, I just could not stay stopped for any length of time that I would stop for a little while and then go back to it and it'd probably be worse. That might be a sign that I have an issue and then maybe I need I need all the tools that our faith gives us, plus talking to some people that really understand the disease of alcoholism and addiction. Well, I think even just as you were mentioning, the, um, you know, people admitting that this is something they struggle with, uh, that this is, it's a thing that, you know, because of, you watch an NFL game and everybody seems right. to be enjoying this, <laughs> this yeah. stuff. And it turns out that on the real actual level, there are actually a whole lot of people who are not enjoying this stuff. And, yeah. uh, and you're not, you're not alone in the question. Yeah. So great. Thank you so much, Kevin Prendergast, okay. as always have a wonderful Thanks, day. Matt. Take care. Bye-bye. And we are praying for you no matter what it is that you're trying to break the chains on with God's help. We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, among other things, to Rita Heikenfeld, who's got some recipe ideas for if you are trapped inside of the house with your children on a snow day. Uh, I think she's got a monkey bread recipe. Uh, making food is a great thing to help get people engaged in something that is not a screen and makes you less crazy. Dr. John Bergsma along next hour as well. Also Courtney Brown from Ruai Woods. So please do stay with us as the Sunrise Morning Show continues on EWTN. It is three minutes till. Dot com. Arise, it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The Sunrise Morning Show. It is Thursday, the 18th of January. It is day one of the octave, the week of prayer for Christian unity. So let's pray a prayer for Christian unity from the Graymore Institute. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray, O gracious Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we may all be one as you are one. In your community of complete unity, we have our beginning and our end. To you we pray asking for the gift of visible unity among all who believe in you. As we commemorate this week of prayer for Christian unity, we are reminded by your word that all human beings are our neighbors and that we are to love them like ourselves and in the same way we love you. Help us to overcome the barriers and divisions we have nurtured against your will. Grant to us, O Lord, a new spirit of love and solidarity that we may proclaim your good news to all of creation. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit are one God forever and ever. Amen. I know that we are Catholic Radio here on EWTN, but I also know there are a lot of listeners who are Christians from other particular traditions, and I just want to let you all know that I'm praying for you all. I know you're listening because I hear from you. I'm praying for you all. Uh, this week in a special way. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has 
news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check it out at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. We're going to talk to Dr. John Bergsma about St. Paul and his words for husbands and wives, which have sometimes been the source of controversy through the ages. Rita Heikenheld has an indoor recipe for families who are going a little stir-crazy. She'll give you something to stir this morning. Liz Lev will discuss the Feast of Santa Prisca, which is actually, you might know her as St. Priscilla, uh, but there's some fascinating catacombs named for her in Rome that Liz will tell us about. And then Courtney Brown will talk more about communicating principles of theology of the body to younger kids. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past news of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Iranian-backed Houthi militants in Yemen. Yesterday, U.S. officials announced the Navy used Tomahawk missiles to target 14 Houthi missile launchers. The strikes came just hours after the U.S. said it would be designating the Houthis as an official terrorist group. President Biden has said airstrikes from the U.S. and U.K. are in direct response to the missile strikes and continued attacks from Houthi militants on ships in the Red Sea. Meanwhile, more than 30 international charities have warned that further escalation and airstrikes on Yemen could spell disaster for civilians already in a dire humanitarian situation. Pope Francis has sent a message to business and world leaders attending the World Economic Forum this week in Davos, Switzerland, encouraging them to use a moral compass to guide their discussions. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. In his message, the Pope said the greatest challenge facing humanity is to ensure peaceful coexistence and integral development for everyone. He said participants in the forum bear a moral responsibility in the fight against poverty and the quest for peace. Pope Francis noted that the Davos event takes place this year in a very troubling climate of international instability. The Pope lamented the wars and prolonged conflicts that are lacerating parts of the world, many of which are wreaking death and destruction among civilians. He said peace cannot come simply by setting aside the weapons of war, but nations must first address the injustices that are the root causes of conflict. These causes, he said, include the prevalence of hunger and the exploitation of natural resources, even as some parts of the world waste food and a select few get rich off of extractive industries. He also condemned the widespread exploitation of men, women, and children who are forced to work for low wages and deprived of real prospects for personal development and professional growth. Globalization has a profoundly moral dimension, said Pope Francis, adding that development requires a moral compass to guide discussions that shape the future of the international community. Development, said the Pope, must entail subordinating the pursuit of power and individual gain to the common good of our human family, giving priority to the poor and vulnerable. Finally, Pope Francis called for business leaders and politicians attending Davos to prioritize the equitable distribution of progress. Authentic development must be global and shared by all nations, he said, or it will regress even in areas marked hitherto by constant progress. I'm Devin Watkins. Pope Francis Francis has said, beware of the vice of lust during his general audience, continuing his catechesis series on vices and virtues. The Holy Father said, quote, if it is not polluted by vice, falling in love is one of the purest feelings 
He said, lust destroys relationships and freedom. He said, if love is not disciplined with patience, it is not inscribed in a relationship and in a story where, quote, two individuals transform it into a loving dance. It turns into a chain that deprives human beings of freedom, end quote. A judge in Maine is staying a decision on whether former President Trump should be allowed on the state's ballot for now. Last month, Maine's Secretary of State disqualified Trump under the 14th Amendment. Yesterday's 17-page ruling from Maine Superior Court Justice Michaela Murphy said a final decision should be kept on hold until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on a similar case from Colorado. The high court is set to hear those arguments on February 8th. Maine's Republican presidential primary is set for March 5th. The Justice Department is expected to release its report on the police response to the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas today. Mark Mayfield reports. DOJ officials notified Uvalde school officials about the upcoming release at a school board meeting on Monday night. Shortly after the shooting in May of 2022 that killed 19 students and two teachers, the DOJ announced its plan to conduct a review of how police handled the situation. DOJ officials said the idea is to identify lessons learned and best practices to help first responders deal with future incidents. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Matt, I thought you would like to know, today is National Winnie the Pooh Day, honoring the birthday of A.A. Milne, the author who created the bear and his friends. Milne was born on this day in 1882. I don't know if there's any, you know, connection we can make to the opening of the prayer for Christian unity. Okay. Well, no, not with the week of prayer for Christian unity, Uh, but... Uh, you may know the answer to this already, but what do what do Winnie the Pooh and John the Baptist have in common? Honey. No. Well, I mean, maybe they might. I guess they do both like honey. Yeah. I was going to say they have the same middle name. That one's for you video feed watchers at sunrisemorningshow.com. <laughs> The radio people think she's not laughing. Just so you know, the radio people think that she's she's stonewalling me, but she enjoyed that. One. I know she enjoyed that one. <laughs> oh, okay. Wipe the tear from my eye. I'm crying because it was terrible. Okay. Thursday, January the 18th. Happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, we are um, continuing to look at that infamous passage from St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, which we're going to be parsing out a bit today. So I'm going to start with Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 23. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So this idea of of headship or, or leadership, tell us how Christ is the model for husbands in this regard. Yeah, totally, uh, Anna. 
crisis a model in this regard because he takes 100% responsibility for the welfare of those who are entrusted to him, uh, even to the point of taking upon himself our guilt and experiencing the suffering for that. And that kind of redefines how we as human beings should look at the marriage relationship and the relationship between husband and wife and uh, think of the husband as one who takes full responsibility for the welfare and the flourishing of his wife and then of the children that they bear together, um, even to the point of death. And um, that's, you know, such a beautiful example here. I'm going to get emotional here. (laughs) That's what I'm... uh, for better or for worse, known for at Franciscan uh, University, getting uh, getting choked up when talking about scripture, but um, uh, that's that's the case. So yes, indeed. So um, when we look, when we read these passages, uh, Anna from Ephesians about you know wives uh, submitting to their husbands, there, there's always the assumption that what you're submitting to is this um, love. Uh, that is willing to go to the point of death for for your good and uh, for your well-being. And so that's yeah. always kind of in the background of these injunctions. Wow. I mean, it's a really incredible thought. You have this great example of a, a book on leadership that you uh, read by um, some retired soldiers and, and talking about how you take full responsibility for anything that goes wrong but when something goes right you give all the credit to to those who are under your headship under your leadership which i think is is just a beautiful illustration of of what saint paul is saying here in ephesians 5. so let's uh look at verse 24 you've alluded to it a little bit here as the church is subject to christ so let wives be subject in everything to their husbands. Can you talk about the importance of the wording of this verse, Dr. Berksma? Absolutely. So the word there in Greek is hupotasomai, which literally means to to place oneself under. And it's used widely in the New Testament, and it's not just wives that need to hupotasomai or, or place themselves under, but many. And, and we see that in a, a few verses above, where it says that this should be a general attitude. So it's an attitude that we might call deference. Um, but then specifically within the husband and wife relationship, it's a kind of a self-entrustment. And I think you could even um, uh, def- uh, translate it in, in this context as kind of as a self-entrustment. So wives, entrust yourselves to your husband in everything. And, um, of course, that's, you know, not saying, uh, you know, entrust him if he wants to do some sinful uh, sure. activity like, hey, babe, let's go rob a bank. Like, okay, <laughs> Bible says I have to. No, there's, there's certain, you know, understood limits on that. That's, of course, within the, uh, the husband and wife relationship. But I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that even the most joyful of human activities do require uh, some leadership and some structure Something like, say, um, ballroom dancing, you know, waltzing, for example. And my wife and I took um, dance lessons together for a number of years. That's and awesome. um, 
you know, if the dance coach would say to um, the female partner, you know, you need to follow your partner's lead in everything. You know, be sensitive to the movement of his hips or the movement of his shoulders, okay? We would understand that that's not for the sake of oppression or anything like that. That's so that the couple moves fluidly on the dance floor. That's really ultimately for the happiness of both and, and that both have an enjoyable uh, experience. And so I think that uh, that's, that's a helpful analogy because yeah. the marital relationship is one of joy and uh, companionship. Um, but it does need, you know, a, a bit of structure and a bit of leadership so that that facilitates that cooperation. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, you point out in the book that Paul doesn't tell the husbands to make their wives subject to yourself. It's telling the wives, make this choice to to place yourself under him. That's right, because throughout the Bible, that choice is it's always an appeal to the free will of the wife. Um, this always has to be voluntary. Even in the Old Testament, I, I find it quite remarkable, Anna, that nowhere in the Old Testament are husbands ever told or authorized, you know, make your wife do anything, mm. um, and or in the New Testament. So, again, this always has to be voluntary. It's a voluntary self-entrustment that to someone that you've chosen to love uh, for your whole life. Yeah. Okay, so now let's read 25 through 30. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So much in, in those couple of verses there. What is St. Paul actually saying to husbands? Certainly. Well, first of all, obviously, follow the example of Christ. His um, you know, leadership of the Church, his relationship with the Church is the model for husbands uh, toward their wives. Um, there's a beautiful allusion here, actually, back to Ezekiel 16, hmm. which was an extended allegory of uh, God's relationship with Israel and how he cares for Israel, wash, dress, cleanses, glorifies Israel. So that's beautiful. Mm. But one of the dimensions there that I find interesting, um, Anna, is it suggests that a husband should be concerned even about the spiritual welfare uh, of his wife. Um, you know, the spotless, uh, you know, presented before him. These are our spiritual categories. And so, you know, I, I, the, a husband and a father needs to think about not only the material well-being of his wife and his children, but also their spiritual well-being and make space. And I think, you know, practically speaking, that is, you know, make opportunity for your wife to go on a retreat, okay? <laughs> make opportunity for your wife uh, to, to benefit from Mass. And I see a beautiful example of this at, at our home parish here at Steubenville. Oftentimes I'll be in the back, and I'll see, like, five dads, you know, holding toddlers and infants. Yes. And, and they're doing that so that their wife can relax and, you know, participate better uh, in Mass. And I think, who would have thought, this is a very traditional 
community, very, you know, you might say conservative community in Steubenville. But here's where these dads are like, you know what, I'm going to take uh, the babies here so you can relax for a moment and, and listen to the homily and, and get deeper to Mass. I think it's a, a beautiful example. Such a good point. My husband does the same. He's the one that has to make all the bathroom trips. So, <laughs> yes, <indeed>. Love <laughs> Basics for Catholics, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. John Bergsma, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, it's 18 past. Headlines up next. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Communities in Southern California gather to celebrate the beauty and dignity of every human life. EWTN takes you to San Francisco for live coverage of the Walk for Life West Coast, Saturday, January 20th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Then, don't miss inspiring speakers and music during One Life LA at 5 p.m. Eastern. The pro-life festivities begin Saturday, January 20th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on EWTN TV and radio. 20 past, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Iranian-backed Houthi militants in Yemen. Pope Francis has sent a message to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and during his general audience said, beware of the vice of lust. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And be sure to tune in tomorrow morning because starting at 6 a.m. Eastern, uh, we will have live coverage of the March for Life. We're the pregame show. We're the pregame show. We're the tailgate party. Yeah, we are. At the Continental Breakfast Bar. You know it's it. It's 21 past. Cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed. It's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. 
get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Dominican Father Paul Keller. Please pray with me the prayer to St. Anthony. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. O holy St. Anthony, gentlest of saints, your love for God and charity for his creatures made you worthy when on earth to possess miraculous powers. Miracles waited on your word, which you were ever ready to speak for those in trouble or anxiety. Encouraged by this thought, I implore of you to obtain for me this request. The answer to my prayer may require a miracle. Even so, you are the saint of miracles. O gentle and loving Saint Anthony, whose heart was ever full of human sympathy, whisper my petition into the ears of the sweet infant Jesus, who loved to be folded in your arms, and the gratitude of my heart will ever be yours. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, and i got to tell you, this is going to be a fun recipe to make. Not I'm the healthiest, excited. but something really fun. Yeah, very, very not healthy at all. Uh, we're, we got a recipe for monkey bread we want to share, but I want to get some of your thinking behind this because, mm-hmm. you know, it's been cold, deep freezing, like even Texas has been frozen over the past few yes. days. And so sometimes it's so cold, there's not even in, in enough snow to have fun in. People feel like landlocked, trapped inside, and people are going at each other. And they want to do something besides screens and besides just telling your kid to go read a book or do a puzzle. How can cooking take the edge off of some of this tension? Well, something like monkey bread, because it's so it's I call this an engaging recipe. Um, And we'll talk about it in a minute. Basically, you've got buttermilk biscuits that you uh, cut apart and then roll or shake in sugar and cinnamon and then you put them in a bunt pan or an angel food pan mat, and then you pour some butter and brown sugar over it and bake it, and you flip it out of the pan, and it is so fun to pull apart. But um, what Annie said was so true. Those little ones right now, my goodness, they, they're talk about monkey bread, perfect for little kids acting like monkeys going all over the place. This is just a wonderful recipe. And it uses some Bible ingredients, too, so we can talk about that as well. Yeah, and the, the hands-on uh, aspect of it, the, mm-hmm. uh, the the tactile nature of it, the different textures of, like, squishing up buttermilk biscuits in your fists and all that sort of thing is a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but which Bible ingredients are in the mix in case people want to mention that as part of this monkey bread recipe? Yeah, and, and that's the whole goal here. Um, butter, of course, you know, we know that that's, mentioned a lot of times in the Old Testament. You think of Exodus and in Numbers uh, about the promised land. We remember that it's described, Matt, as a land of milk and honey. 
And, you know, butter was churned a lot of times from goat's milk, and it was put in like a leather pouch and swung back and forth until the, the milk turned to curds and then into butter. And then, of course, cinnamon. Uh, who doesn't love cinnamon? That was mentioned in the Bible, and it, it, it was a symbol of, of great significance, especially spiritual. And um, you think back in Exodus in chapter 30, it talks about cinnamon as an anointing oil for sacred objects. It was that um, important. And then, of course, in the Song of Solomon in chapter 4, um, it describes cinnamon as a precious spice. So cinnamon was used most, uh, both medically, spiritually, and in the kitchen back then. So wonderful spice. We use it a lot today. All right. So... Uh, I'm going to let you get just some practical things out of the way. You mentioned brown sugar, mm-hmm. you mentioned butter, you mentioned cinnamon. I, I mean, you, I'm sold. Like, that is that is about <laughs> all all I need to sell the recipe. But what else does somebody need if they're making a grocery run right now? Okay, do this you're going to start out with um, 24 ounces of refrigerated, those buttermilk biscuits, and a little less. We call them more- WAP biscuits, by the way. Do you know why? No. Uh, because, like, you'd peel off the label around of them. <laughs> Yeah. This is like, I'm sure that nobody else's family calls them this, but then you have to whop them on the counter to get the biscuit thing to pop. Oh my gosh, yes, you do. And sometimes oh, that used to scare me when I was younger because oh, yeah, I was afraid of There's certain people explode. who are terrified of hitting that biscuit thing on the counter. <laughs> well, I was one of those. Um, but anyway, 24 ounces, and you can get like three seven and a half ounce cans or a couple 12 ounce cans. Ounce cans. A little more or less is not going to matter. You're going to wind up with about 28 or 30 pieces. So, uh, you're going to preheat the oven to 350, and then you've got to grease generously or spray a tube or a bunt pan if you have it, and really grease that well. And then you're going to ha- cut each biscuit into four pieces, and then have the little ones um, shape them into little balls. Balls, You said, just you know, shape it with your fist. And then after you get all those shaped, you're going to mix um, one cup of sugar and a tablespoon of cinnamon. And I like to put it in a plastic bag. Some people like to put it in a bowl and you either shake or roll those biscuit pieces, oh, six or so at a time in that mix, Matt. And then you start arranging those in that prepared pan. Um, and you're just going to continue, you know, until all the pieces are used up, and you're going to have several layers. And then what you're going to do after you do that, you're going to combine um, a cup of butter and a half a cup of brown sugar. And you want to um, – oh, wait, let me back up a little bit. Yeah brown sugar and butter, and then there should be about half a cup of that sugar-cinnamon mixture left. So you're going to put some brown sugar, uh, butter, and half a cup of the remaining sugar-cinnamon mixture, and just heat it till it begins to boil. You're going to dissolve it. You don't want to turn it into caramel, just till it gets hot enough to dissolve the sugars. And then you um, just pour that over the biscuits in the pan. You just drizzle it over, and then you bake that about 30 minutes or so, um, and I always say keep an eye on it because baking times may vary. And you, you want to get it all the way done in the center. And if you have a thermometer, it's going to read about 185 or so. But you're going to know that they're all baked. And you just let it sit for about five minutes and then a large plate on top and then invert it. And you just let the monkey bread just sort of fall out. But it stays intact. And then you just eat it, you know, just pull the little pieces off with your fingers. Oh, it's great. It's so fun to pull apart and it eat. It is. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
Oh, I'm going to put one more uh, Bible reference in here mm-hmm. uh, that you can mention while you're making monkey bread with your family. Uh, it comes from 1 Kings 10.22. You know, the Queen of Sheba brought all these gifts to Solomon, and so did uh, a bunch of other people. But uh, there was a fleet of ships uh, from Tarshish uh, and from King Hiram. And once every three years, the fleet of ships from Tarshish used to come bringing uh, gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> they, they delivered, I, I think the scholars say, I think it was gorillas, not monkeys. Mm. But still, King Solomon had uh, had monkeys. Wow. So there's your monkey bread reference. Yep, he had it all. <laughs> he did indeed. <laughs> Find the full recipe at abouteating.com. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Israel-Hamas war is raging on in the Gaza Strip. Civilians in the region are fleeing as Israeli forces have attacked the area around Gaza's main hospital. This comes as medicine is set to be delivered today for Israeli hostages in exchange for additional humanitarian aid for Palestinians. This is the first breakthrough since the truce between Israel and Hamas collapsed earlier in the war. The White House said serious and intensive discussions are taking place for a new hostage deal. Meanwhile, the United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Mark Mayfield reports. On Wednesday, U.S. officials announced the Navy used Tomahawk missiles to target 14 Houthi missile launchers. These strikes came just hours after the U.S. said it would be designating the Houthis as an official terrorist group. President Biden has said airstrikes from the U.S. and U.K., are in direct response to continued attacks from Houthi militants on ships in the Red Sea. Meanwhile, over 30 international charities have warned that further escalation and airstrikes on Yemen could spell disaster for civilians in an already dire humanitarian situation. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis implored world and business leaders to use a moral compass to guide their discussions at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland this week. The Vatican released his message to them yesterday. He said... Development must, quote, entail subordinating the pursuit of power and individual gain, be it political or economic, to the common good of our human family, giving priority to the poor, the needy, and those in the most vulnerable situations. The Holy Father said, it is my hope that participants in this year's forum will be mindful of the moral responsibility that each of us has in the fight against poverty, the attainment of an integral development for all our brothers and sisters, and the quest for a peaceful coexistence among peoples. At his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis said, beware of the vice of lust, as he continued his catechesis series on vices and virtues. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports. Romantic tender love is beautiful, but beware of the sin of lust, which can defile it. The Holy Father reminded that in Christianity, there is no condemnation of sexual instincts. Non c'è una condanna. And that in its appropriate sense, love between two people can be innocent and a gift from God. However, when this is not the case and those feelings are distorted into something obsessive which enslaves those involved, lust has disfigured love. Lust, the Pope said, is particularly odious for at least two reasons. The two main reasons the Pope said are that lust destroys relationships between people and it can rob individuals of their freedom. Lust, the Pope noted, makes a mockery of and 
plunders the beauty of pure, innocent love. If not disciplined with patience, if not inscribed in a relationship and in a story where two individuals transform it into a loving dance, the Pope explained, it turns into a chain that deprives human beings of freedom. Esa se muta en una cadena que priva al hombre de libertad. Lust, he observed, is opposed to the beauty of the love which God has implanted in our hearts and called us to cultivate in our relationships with others, especially through the responsible use of our sexuality. God's gift of sexuality, which finds sublime expression in conjugal love, the Pope said, is at the service of human fulfillment and authentic freedom. Winning the battle against lust, the Pope acknowledged, can be a lifelong endeavor. But, he noted, the prize of this battle is the most important of all, because it is preserving that beauty that God wrote into his creation when he imagined love between man and woman. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. A main judge staying a decision on whether former President Trump should be allowed on the state's ballot for now. Last month, Maine's Secretary of State disqualified Trump under the 14th Amendment. Yesterday's 17-page ruling from Maine Superior Court Justice Michaela Murphy said a final decision could should be kept on hold until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on a similar case out of Colorado. The week of prayer for Christian unity gets underway today. The U.S. bishops have released a statement highlighting the importance of ecumenism, especially in praying for peace given the paralyzing nature of polarization and the tragedy of war that have spread throughout our world today. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. The If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. There are people in the Bible whose names we never learn, but their lives are perfect examples of faith. This is true for a young girl from Israel. She served in the household of a great general, a man named Naaman of Syria. We would never know of this girl at all, except for the fact that Naaman suffered from a skin disease. It was not so terrible that he could not fulfill his duties to the king, but it was a terrible burden to bear nonetheless. Naaman tried every possible means for a cure, but could find none. And then one day, this young Hebrew girl in his household, told him that there was a prophet in her homeland who could heal him. Naaman was not so proud that he could not listen to her wisdom, and he was cured. Like that young Hebrew girl, we never know what influence a good word from us can have on the lives of others. 
For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Leb is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's an art historian, guide to Italy and Rome. You can find her online at elizabeth-lev.com as well as mastersgalleryrome.com. She's author of several books pertinent to our discussion today, co-author of Roman Pilgrimage, The Station Churches. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine and excited to get to talk to you about Santa Prisca today, uh, her feast day, January 18th. Not many people have heard her name. Who was she? I am very excited that you are, if I may use the word, resurrecting a devotion (laughs) to Santa Prisca. Um, Santa Prisca actually remains a little bit shrouded in mystery, but she's generally understood to be the mm, wife of Aquila, um, who too was mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles, as well as um, mentioned by St. Paul as owning a house church or running a house church on the top of the Aventine Hill. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about this church. I find it interesting that the Basilica of Santa Prisca is the station church for the Tuesday of Holy Week. I mean, I would have expected some more famous churches to take up Holy Week, and in fact, a lot more of the famous churches do take up much of it. But tell us about Santa Prisca Church. That's actually a really interesting point. I've always thought of that as we do these station churches, and we're in these enormous, glamorous, fabulous, famous churches. And then as we come into this last week before Easter, this, the, the, really the the, the, the one of the very last churches, you walk up the Aventine Hill to this very humble and simple facade. And I think it actually, in some ways, is sort of a preparation as we move into the end of the week and Jesus' arrest and suffering and death waiting for his resurrection, that, that humility of that church. It's never been a big, huge, extensive church, although uh, there are some archaeologists who claim it may be one of the very oldest churches in Rome. And so we go back to the beginning of the Christian community in Santa Prisca because it's a church that was, was, was a hidden church in its origin. So it's believed to have been one of the original house churches. It would have had to have been hidden from the Roman uh, uh, um, Roman officials. And you know, only with the legalization of Christianity could it emerge from underground, much like literally the resurrection of Christ emerging from the cave. Yeah. Uh, were, were house churches pretty numerous in Rome in, in the persecution era? And do many of them, do we know where many of them are today? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's, a, it's an interesting point because um, there is a sort of strange battle between secularist forces and Christianity about the early Christian traditions. But we know that there were early Christian churches. We know this from the Roman emperors, who had on several occasions during the 3rd century taken away these properties from the Christian, and then they were returned. So we know about about 25 house churches that were operating not really underground physically, but they were uh, were operated by people who, as far as one could tell, were were owners of a house in good standing with the Roman officials, but really they 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 were harboring Christians and allowing them to celebrate Mass and to gather there. And Santa Prisca is believed to have been the church that, housed, that, that, that welcomed both St. Peter 
and St. Paul, because, of course, they would have been in Rome at the same time. And so St. Paul, who speaks of this very early establishment put together by the first Christians to come over and preach in the heart of the Roman Empire, of course Peter would have gone there, too. Well, that gives you an indication of the kind of person that Santa Prisca was if she was willing to uh, risk making her house one of these churches to to harbor Christians, including the most most famous, the biggest targets among them. Really, there were a great many women in this era who were heroically assisting uh, Christians. And, and, and this is you know, part, I think, and part of this beautiful gospel message that Christ gives, both through the example of his mother, but in the way he treats women throughout the Gospels. And you see a great supporter, helpers, brave women who donated their lives at times, their, their, their wealth, their goods, their time, their assistance. They were really, to use the modern term, empowered by the message of Jesus. Hmm. Well, you told me that this church is sitting on top of an old Mithraeum. What's a Mithraeum? So the Mithraeum is a site which is connected to an uh, early religion. It's actually an Eastern religion called Mithraism. It worships a god who uh, traveled across Asia, Asia, Asia Minor, in order to sacrifice a primogenital bull. He would have probably remained in Asia Minor, unknown to unbeknownst for everyone except for specialists, if it weren't for the Roman army. The Roman army came in contact with this god, and they made him their own god. They kind of transformed him into their god of vows and contracts. From there, the Roman army, which, as you can imagine, with all of its conquests, was enormous and everywhere, began to build cult cells to this god Mithras. One of the most interesting things about the Mithraic religion is the fact that these cult cells, which were never illegal, not for one second, they were actually at times funded by the emperor, they only had small numbers. They only allowed, the largest one allowed 60 people in. What does that tell you about that religion? It tells you about a religion of exclusivity, a religion that was open primarily, only to males. It was meant for a small elite group. And then along comes Christ mm-hmm. and throws open the doors for everybody. Men, women, uh, Romans, non-Romans, Jews, Greeks, you name it. And so you see this tiny little Mithraeum, you can actually go visit it, go in this tiny little room, expensively decorated to a god. You can be these different, you you stand in these different points because you can be different levels. You can be a crow, you can be a nymph, you can be a soldier. (laughs) Sounds like a a, a board game. And then you leave that tiny little space and you walk up to a relatively small Christian church, but you see the space, the welcoming, the opening arms, because it's a religion for everyone. Wow. We've been talking to Liz Lev. Go pick up a copy of Roman Pilgrimage, The Station Churches. That would be a good one to have in your on your Lenten bookshelf. You can find Liz linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Liz, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. And... Matt, did you know there was a difference? You said this earlier this morning. Oh, Matt's not there. Ah, I was going to make fun of him, which is why he's not there. It's a lesson in humility for me. I was going to say this morning he teased it as saying St. Priscilla, and she's different from Santa Prisca. 
we talked about St. Priscilla earlier this week. Um, she has catacombs named for her. And if you were listening last hour on Monday, so in the six o'clock hour Eastern time on Monday, you heard about the, the uh, catacombs of St. Priscilla. And this is Santa Prisca. And there's also Santa Proxedes, who I believe, I think that church is like right next to it. But anyway, some beautiful churches in Rome. And it's amazing. All of these, they seem so obscure to us, at least, you know, me as an American. These saints, these early saints, early Christian saints that we don't talk about much anymore because we have all these more modern saints who have beautiful lives that we uphold and they feel more, shall we say, relevant to us. Um, But there are these incredible people in the early Christian church who are still revered in Rome because, of course, going to Rome is like walking back in time. You've got the, the communion of saints very literally surrounding you when you walk the streets of Rome. It's incredible. Anyway, so we'll move on. I didn't get to talk to Matt about it, but oh, there is Matt. Matt, you're back. See, this is, I'm like watching the video feed and Matt, you were gone. I was going to make fun of you about not knowing the difference between St. Priscilla and Santa Prisca. Well, but that's okay. I mean, Priscilla and Aquila often go together and their names Mm -hmm. are more fun to say together than Prisca and Priscilla. (laughs) It's true. All their names are fun to say. And in fact, these Italian names, I get to talk some Italian names in the next segment uh, with the children's storybook that is used in the fourth grade curriculum with the Rural Woods Institute Revealed program. We'll talk about that with Courtney Brown coming up next. It's 14 till. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. 
Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Jimmy Aiken, Open Forum, Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. The United States is launching another round of airstrikes against Houthi militants in Yemen. Pope Francis sent a message to the World Economic Forum taking place this week in Davos, Switzerland, encouraging them to have a moral compass during their discussions. And at his general audience yesterday, the Holy Father said, beware of the vice of lust. News at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rural Woods Institute. And we're getting another mini lesson with him based on their K-12 through Theology of the Body curriculum called Revealed. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine and excited to talk to you about the fourth grade curriculum today and particularly the storybook that is associated with fourth graders. But uh, before we get to Pepe the Lamplighter, um, what would you say are the main themes that come out in the fourth grade curriculum? So with the fourth grade, we kind of flipped the paradigm a bit in terms of the structure, whereas JP2 followed this. We're going to look at our fundamental question of who we are as sons and daughters of God. And then we look into the, the later part where he starts getting into marriage and the sacrament and the language of the body, free, total, faithful, fruitful, all very important things is like how we are to act. Mm-hmm. So being flows into activity. But here we actually start with um, this idea of how the body reveals virtue. So when we do acts of virtue, there there's an interior movement as well as an exterior movement. And then also gift of self, which when, I, when we talk about this story, you'll uh, immediately see that theme and then also what authentic love and this idea that we all have value and every remedial task which seems to be um, just remedial still matters and it's important so this story kind of this goes through a lot of particular themes of life and it's a very fitting story especially in our roots of this american culture so okay pepe the lamplighter may or may not have made me cry when I, I read it here. Tell us tell us this story, Courtney. So this story takes place back in the 1800s in Little Italy, New York. Now, just as we know most of our history, the Italians that immigrated over here into New York, they formed an establishment in Little Italy. But back then, electricity was basically done by lamping a gas light on the streets. And there was one person's job to light those lamps. Um, so this story takes place with a little boy who lost his mother, and his dad's really sick, and he has a, you know, I, I can't remember the number of brothers and sisters he has, but he has a quite a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't count, but there's a there's quite a few. I mean, we have eight in my family, so, you know, definitely a very fitting thing. But um, he's looked desperately, need just in those times, the, as a little boy, you found yourself needing to work in order to support your family. So... He's going out searching for a job, and he's getting, in a sense, told they can't, not enough money, not old enough, um, but this isn't the time yet. But then the lamplighter is going to go back to Italy and get his family to come back, his wife, and ask the little boy if he would be, if he would like the lamps. And the little boy is ecstatic. Like, he is so excited to do this, finds purpose, 
this is great. I've been looking for a job. I get it. You know, um, my, my 13 year old would not act like this because he was like <laughs> wanting to sit on the couch, but that's okay. Needless to say, um, what ends up happening is he's doing it on a daily basis, but his father, who's like suffering, gives him this, this quote that basically says, oh, I moved here for this, for, for my kids to do these kinds of things. So there's this like little disdain for his son to become a lamplighter and not finding value. So it goes on, and his dad, every time that they would come to the dinner table at night, he showed his frustration towards the boy being an actual lamplighter to where it takes a toll on him to where one night he just, the boy just gives up and just thinks there's no meaning, there's no value in this, and my, I, I'm supposed to be a doctor or something that could make my dad proud and ends up not lighting the lamps. Well, it goes to show that during the night, his sister did not come home. And the dad, in a panic, asked him to go out. We need you. We need you to light the lamps. You're the lamp lighter. And so the boy does it at his request. And at the as he's lighting the lamps, the last one, his sister is like, like basically hugging the lamp because she's afraid of the dark. And asks, "Why haven't you lit the lamp?" And he says, "Why?" And then he lights it and then carries her home. And she says something: "You keep the dark away." Mm. And that that's kind of the moment where you start to see. Um, has changed back into there's a lot of value in this, and where it really is is when his dad says he's proud of him. So mm-hmm. how proud he is of him of being a lamplighter. And the story kind of ends with, with the dad finding value and ending with saying how proud he is, and he has a reinvigoration of his value and just what seems to be such a remedial task is lighting a lamp. And I know you have probably a follow-up question to this, but this is such a, um, such a fitting story for all those themes I told about but also getting kids to understand that the, the value we have is not basically what we can produce. The, the, our value starts in the fact that we're created by God and that we're here, but that every task that we're given, our purpose, serves a purpose and it matters. So yeah. you can kind of see that the evidence of that right in that story. Especially when you put it in the right perspective. I want to read um, a, a couple of lines here and, and hope that you can reflect on this, Courtney. He is talking about how when Pepe first starts to um, to take on this job and it says, then one by one, he lit them all and each one Pepe imagined to be a small flame of promise for the future. What a joyful feeling it was to light the street lamps. It was almost like lighting candles in the church for special favors from saints and says, this one's for Julia. May she have the chance to marry well. This for Andalina. These are his sisters. May May she have the dress she likes. This for work for Nicolina and the biscuit company. Peace work for Angelina may, for many gloves to sew. And he, he goes on and on lighting these lamps as if he's lighting prayer candles at church and, and bringing even greater meaning to, uh, to the idea that he dispels the darkness every night. Yes, that, that is a very, a very powerful scene in that where he sees that every lamp he's lighting has an, an innate purpose as helping someone specifically. The, the one thing I'll just end uh, uh, just to talk that I kind of was reflecting on this this past weekend when I was flying in from New Orleans uh, from a conference I was speaking at. Um, I was just watching outside all the people it takes to land a plane and fly a plane and to yeah. make us. It was just. I was just blown away with the guy who was just filling the airplane up with gas, like all these little moving parts. And I know that he's probably thinking this is a terrible job and 
negative two degree weather, but how grateful I was yeah, that he was that allowing he was me the it. opportunity to do that. So, yep. Fine revealed at linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney Brown, thank you. No problem. God bless you. You too. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for the Sunrise Morning Show. God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.